All right, so before we begin, I would just like to state for the record that today is September 22nd, 2021, and my name is Ben Bauman. I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm speaking via phone with Daryl Felling, who is in Terre Haute, Indiana, and we are doing an interview for the Indiana Legislative Oral History Initiative. So just starting off, when and where were you born? I was born on June 12th of 1947 at St. Anthony Hospital in Terre Haute, Indiana. Okay, and uh, what were your parents' names? Uh, My father's name was Edward, and my mother, Maxine, and my dad was a lifetime, uh, that time, three-generation farmer, and my mother was a 27-year elementary school teacher. Oh, okay, wow. And um, let's see, where was your family from before Indiana? Um, Germany, okay. uh, migrants. Uh, as a matter of fact, my great great grandpa came came over on the boat with uh, Tony Hallman Seniors. Uh, I can't remember if it was his grandfather or his great grandfather, uh, and they both settled uh, just about two miles apart in what is now the east side of Terre Haute, and uh, they. Uh, they didn't teach me a whole lot of German, but I, I did learn a little Spanish at DePaul um, to earn my BA degree. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. And uh, did you have any siblings growing up? Yes. I have, uh, actually, my brother and sister are twins. Oh, wow. And uh, 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 Charlie is, is my brother, who's 18 months younger than me, and my sister Carol is... Uh, obviously, being a twin is also 18 months younger than me, and we've we've had a very close relationship. My brother took over the family farm, and uh, he has continued to operate it. Um, and my sister uh, had got her doctorate degree at Ohio State and uh, uh, did some counseling work, and now she's uh, retired. Oh, okay, sure. So, how would you describe your childhood overall? Well, I, I have to say overall that it was uh, wonderful. Uh, I had a loving mom and dad. Uh, dad taught me a lot about farming, the out of doors. Uh, um, my mother was fantastic. A school teacher, and she helped students more down at the Riley Elementary School, just, oh, it was only about 10 miles south of our house here in the uh, uh, east, east part of uh, Eagle County. Um, ironically, my daughter was at her 50th high school reunion this past weekend, and there were only 25 of them that, that came but out of the 25, two of them approached her and told her how much they loved my mother and had her as a school teacher at Riley. And they still have their poetry books and keep them and read them from time to time that my mother dearly loved and taught. And uh, everybody just just loved uh, Mrs. Felling uh, in the fifth grade. She She was not only an awesome school teacher and person, but she also uh, just was wonderful with 
raising us and, and teaching us right from wrong and what, whatever you do, make sure your word is solid and good and keep a good reputation because they're hard to get back if you lose them. Yeah, sure. That's always really cool. I, I know teachers love that when uh, students remember them and uh, come back and talk about them. So that's cool. Yeah, and even our prosecutor here, Terry Modisett, uh, he's, he's been in for going on four years or four terms now. Him and his twin brother had my mother at Riley. Oh, wow. And he, uh, at her funeral, actually read one of the poems that um, uh, he had written uh, in my mom's class and kept all those years. <laughs> and it was very, very touching. That's awesome, yeah. Very cool, okay. And so would you say then your parents were the most influential people then in your life growing up as a kid? Uh, yes, yes, I would, and, and my two sets of grandparents uh, spent a lot of time with them as well, and, and they were. My uh, grandfather had fought in World War One as a medic, and uh, uh, my uh, uh, dad's father uh, was on the farm, and at that point they preempted some of the farmers from the war in order to keep the food supply rolling and and plenty of uh, uh, farming needs that needed to be done. So um, uh, we knew most of our neighbors by first name and helped each other, and there were just some wonderful people, at, you know, in the entire county, well, in the entire state for that matter. I just didn't, didn't know the rest of the state till I got to the state house. Sure, sure. <laughs> Understandable. Um, yeah, that kind of uh, makes me think then, uh, what if any did you know about your family's political beliefs as a child? Uh, pretty much everything. Uh, my my uh, mother was a Democrat. My dad was a Republican. Uh, they discussed the elections. I would be at the table some of the times in my younger days and and then finally, my dad kind of got mad at the uh, local school board, uh, Lost Creek Township, and he said, by golly, I'm just, I forget what he said, something about they're not doing this right. And so my mother spoke up and said, well, Edward, why don't you run for the school board? And he said, okay, I'm going to. I'm going to see if I can fix that, whatever that issue was back then. And he did win, and he was elated. And he got it changed, and after after he served the one term, he decided, well, I think that's enough for me. I, I got changed what I wanted, and, uh, uh, and then I came along, I guess, as the next politician in the family, <laughs> and uh, worked out quite well. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So I guess uh, seeing your, your dad go through that process probably had some influence on you later on. Yes, it did. It, cert it certainly did. And um, thinking about your education as a kid, uh, remind me, what schools did you attend? Okay, I attended the ISU's uh, lab school, they called it. It's where they did their student teaching um, uh, for, and it was a high school. Um, it's now called the uh, Evan Bay Educational Center. It was dedicated in uh, the by family name, 
because he was from over here. Okay. And um, it, it was a small high school, and um, uh, I was one of 55 graduates there. I loved basketball. We we upset all the big schools in the <laughs> county my senior year and won the sectional, went on to the regional, and uh, that was big stuff back in those days. And I, I was pretty a, a pretty good student. I will admit that uh, you know I like to socialize and I work on the farm and do a lot of other things. So I would say I was uh, probably a solid B. Uh, student uh probably could have done better had i applied myself more but i had had a lot of activities and a lot of things to do otherwise as well sure yeah that makes sense uh did you have any favorite subjects in school uh yes i i think government right off the get-go was uh one of my favorite and i just dearly loved history of both u.s and world but probably more u.s and uh, and my mother taught me, unlike most lawyers and doctors, to do excellent penmanship. Mm. <laughs> and she was an excellent writer. And to this day, I still say, get people that say, you're one of the few attorneys I can actually read your name <laughs> when I when I you know sign a document or whatever. Yeah. So I give her the credit because it's. All it is is just a matter of taking a few extra seconds to write it out clearly. Yeah, true. Um, were you involved in any extracurricular activities? In, in high school? And Yeah, in school in general and stuff, yeah. Uh, yes, I was uh, president of the student legal council, or the, the student body council, uh, which uh, was like, you know, the governing body for student affairs and matters. Right. And I was the first person as a junior to get elected president because those were uh, races between various candidates. And then I won re-election my senior year. And uh, uh, I was also at DePaul University. I was president of the International Foreign Relations Club. Wow. And... Uh, that was interesting because that's when DePaul really opened up to international students. I mean, they we had we had you know probably a, maybe fifty to a hundred uh, back in 1969. But uh, uh, after that, with our professor's leadership, Dr. Amir Rafat, Rafat uh, and I was the, the president of the club. We we did some new things and. And it really helped DePaul move forward in the international community um, in that uh, regard. So I, I was active both in high school, uh, various clubs, of course, and a lot of time in sports. And then the same thing at DePaul. And um, I just I, I really loved DePaul University and still do to this day. Yeah, it sounds like it was a really cool experience for you, sir. And it was pretty neat, too, that uh, my son and I have a law office in Greencastle that, that I opened up, and I had one in Terre Haute before that. Um, DePaul hired him to teach Introduction to Law uh, as, as an attorney in town and with some education background. 
and he did that up until he moved back over to Terre Haute. Oh, okay. So he, he graduated from DePaul, and my oldest daughter, uh, excuse me, my youngest daughter graduated from DePaul, and she is an attorney down in Houston, Texas. Wow, okay. That's cool. Um, what views did you have about the state of Indiana growing up? Oh, uh, what word did you use? Uh, what, what views did you have about... Views, okay. Yeah. Uh, I got it. Well, uh, I always thought Indiana was a great state. Um, it had good balance. Uh, I didn't really realize until I got elected just here in my own county uh, how much is out there and... and Towns like Tecumseh and uh, oh, uh, several others that are, you know, little places, um, a population of maybe 50 or 100 or whatever that you didn't know existed there except on the map. Yeah. And boy, when I got in, in into the legislature, uh, it was a tremendous education and frankly, one of, if not the most, greatest opportunities that, that I as a person ever had. Uh, I didn't realize that when I ran. I was running on a, a political uh, platform of some things I didn't think were being done properly in this county, uh, including the way they voted absentee and, and some irregularities there. And uh, I got that changed with, couldn't get a bill through because, you know, politically it was impossible. Yeah. But I did approach our then um, attorney general. Uh, his name was Theodore Sindak. And this was back in 1976, 77, my first term. Um, and I explained the whole problem to him that um, the Democrats pretty well controlled this county. Uh, and even though I was a Democrat, I, I got complaints from the Republican Party because I was kind of the independent type. Yeah. Um, that they were voting people that were confined to nursing homes in various places uh, without both parties being represented when the people were given the ballots mm. and they were explained to them and then voted and, and then supposed to be initialed by a member of each party. Um, the Republican uh, party was fairly weak and it didn't, uh, it didn't respond until it came to me through their chairman and said, hey, will you look into this because that's not following current law? And I said, sure. And Mr. Sendak, uh, who was a very uh, strong-powered attorney general, I will say, probably one of the best we've, we've had, uh, or at least in the top, top three or five, three to five, um, in my opinion. And so he issued an attorney general's opinion that said that this practice had to cease statewide and that Vigo County especially, uh, if they did not uh, comply with the current law and had both parties present and initials in place and everything done by the book, 
that they were uh, going to convene a, a grand jury to uh, check into it if it happens again, and uh, the law would be strictly enforced. Wow. Needless to say, the Democrat county chairman, <laughs> um, um, uh, which I was the party of, the Democrat party, because of my mother's influence, um, uh, was not very happy with me, and so my a Democrat opponent in the primary, and then I always had a Republican opponent in the fall because it was a pretty, pretty lopsided Republican district. So, yeah. But I was lucky to win it all three times with the help of my family and my friends here in Big O County. Wow. So that, that sounds pretty crazy. Um, so uh, essentially just the, the absentee voting process was not following regulations and sounds like the Democratic Party uh, where, where you were from wasn't really doing anything to change that. Uh, the, the, uh, they were the ones responsible for it. Right. Yeah, the Republicans were the ones that, of course, they were in the minority uh, anyway, and they almost, the party was almost defunct at one point before I got elected. Okay. Even though I was not a Republican, but... Yeah. Um, yes, it, it, and it, it changed the dynamics because the next election, the favored Dem Democrat county chairman, who was in at the time I got that opinion, and who was running the show uh, in Big Old County, so to speak, um, he ran for circuit judge and an unknown attorney by the name of Hugh McQuillan ran against him and nobody thought a Republican could win that election on that level and he upset Ralph Berry uh, in part because of that attorney general's opinion and the public was kind of disgusted with the way they had operated. Yeah. Wow. So I imagine there was probably a lot of pressure then from your party of people upset with you, you know, kind of helping out balance the scales between the Republican Party and Democratic Party then? Well, uh, to, to a great degree. Uh, I, I mean, we still had mutual respect for, for, for the individuals, that, you know, and most of them were good people in both parties. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that you might find interesting right at the moment uh, is that the Republicans, um, the Democrats tried to beat me in the primary, of course the Republicans tried to beat me in the fall. Right. And I had, I had to run uh, six elections, uh, uh, three primaries and three general elections, and finally the only way the Republicans could figure out how to get me out of office was to gerrymander. And, uh, oh, wow. I, I had, and, and I don't think there's, it, it, you should really, my, my district was the 50th district, which was basically the east half of the city of Terre Haute, the east side of Terre Haute, and the south side of Terre Haute. They took my house, uh, where I lived at the time, in the southern part of Terre Haute, and they, they, just, they just took a line and drew it straight across Clay County, Owen County, uh, into Monroe County to a little town called Bean Blossom. Uh, I'd never been to Bean Blossom before. I'd seen the name down on 30 US, US 37. 
yeah. or 31, whichever. But I did not know a soul in the Democrat or the Republican Party in any of those counties, let alone all those precincts. So I, I decided at that point that I would have to start politically over. And, and I had a young family at that point. I had three, uh, three girls and a son. And I thought, in fairness to my family, I can't go out there and spend the kind of time I need to do to get acquainted with people I've never met, never known. And at that point, I was uh, ready to move on from politics. Yeah, sure. But that that district was was uh, unbelievably just uh, looked like a little snake went across the state uh, and and just destroyed the district that I had and, and really pulled a lot of power in the process of the Republican Party doing that away from Terre Haute because yeah. I had uh, I had given consideration to running for statewide office uh, after 1982. Yeah. And I know they got wind of that and uh, so that further fueled the fire to see if they could eliminate me at the ballot box sooner than later. Wow. Well, that that's, um, sounds like a pretty sad state of affairs uh, where after you know, basically helping the Republican Party uh, with, the, with the voting issue, <laughs> they, they helped push you out later uh, through gerrymandering. Yes. Um, yeah, it surely did. This kind of shows a lot of uh, the issues in the, uh, I guess, the uh, not only state political system, but the American political system when it comes to different things that people can tinker with to affect uh, politics. Sure. Wow. Well, there's no question. Um, the current uh, way they draw the, 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 you know, the census uh, and analyze it and redraw the districts uh, really is something that should be taken away from the politicians themselves, because obviously whichever party's in power is going to draw the lines and the maps and the districts, yeah. and put it put it in an independent commission, not appointed by politicians, but done on however most other states do it. I, I can't answer that, but do it fair and square so we keep the best people in office rather than eliminate those you don't like because they don't say or follow the game rules of the party right yeah i mean it, it, it does sound like it's kind of you either are uh kind of blindly loyal to a party or else you are at risk of being kind of pushed out of that party yes that is that is true and <clears throat> and then i might add one of my milestones in getting legislation through was in 1978 uh, State Representative Dennis Avery from Evansville, a Democrat, a colleague of mine, and myself filed a lawsuit against the state of Indiana because of the way they operated the license branches. Uh, and back in those days, the political party of each county that, that was dominant would, uh, from the governor's office, automatically be in charge of the license branches on the county level and then the county chairman of that party democrat or republican would basically 
pick handpick his chosen few to run the license branch, and they were able to keep most of the profits that were generated from the license plates for the benefit of the political party. Uh, when, when Dennis and I investigated that, it, it appeared that, that there were very few records filed in Indianapolis about how much money was collected, how much their expenses were, where the net dollar landed up, which usually was in the political party uh, account, and then they dispersed that for who they picked to run for whatever state or, or county office. So that was actually using state revenue for the benefit of the two-party system, and obviously it, it had gone on for years, Yeah, the parties loved it, and so Dennis and I filed the lawsuit down in Evansville Federal Court, and uh, I could I could tell you this unequivocally. I, I knew later after we won the lawsuit that that was the final nail in my coffin uh, for that gerrymandering because I could see and heard rumors that they, they really hated us. Uh, the, the hardcore party politicians, that is, yeah, in the state. Um, um, because of that lawsuit, and and we we tried to settle out of court with them to just pass a bill and change it, and, and they thought, oh no, we can we can snowball this, and we'll win this case, and they sure found out they were dead wrong, and uh, wow, the, uh, the, and one twist I have to throw in because uh, I always respected uh, uh, Evan By and and uh, the current uh, mayor of Indianapolis, but and they later ran after 1982 uh, for state office. They both took credit for reforming the license branch system. And, and in fact, they did play a part in reforming it, but, but what they didn't speak of was the lawsuit that federal court mandated the parties to reform it or else they were going to take it over or abolish it completely yeah. and put it in the hands of the state uh, as it should have been. But anyway, I, I never said a word uh, or complained to anybody, and I'm not complaining that, you know, Evan By did, did do some work on it at that point, but that's not what changed it. Uh, it was already changed by the federal ruling. And uh, I know Joe, Joe Hogsett, when he ran for Secretary of State, mentioned license branch reform was something that he took credit for as well. Hmm, okay. So that's just a little twist on politics. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, so I, I guess uh, by the time you were you were done with uh, sort of state politics, you were not terribly popular with either party um, in terms of the, the, like the hardcore party members, I guess. You know, you hit the nail right on the head. Uh, and and I, I I was always civil with them, and they were civil with me. Uh, but you know, I knew, or they knew that they could not manipulate me. Or on the other side, if, if they could convince me that something was wrong that needed to be changed, I I would analyze it and 
get several different opinions and before I did anything, and then if I agreed with them, I would help them. If I didn't, I, you know, I would stay neutral. But uh, I, I, uh, I think among other things, we had pushed for a another interstate uh, interchange for the benefit of Terre Haute, mm-hmm. uh, which we badly needed back in those in the late seventies, and. Uh, we, I finally convinced the county, the uh, state chairman of the transportation committee, to hold a hearing in Terre Haute, and they did, and they all voted uh, in favor of the new interchange study committee, and went back over to Indianapolis, and lo and behold, the next year they never appointed an interim study committee for the interchange, the new interchange for Terre Haute. Mm. So wow. we never got it until about 10 years ago, so, which is almost too little too late. That's why the 641 bypass is there, yeah. if you're familiar with that. Right. So anyway, uh, but again, as I said at the outset, um, I feel good with what I what I've, was able to accomplish uh, uh, as an individual legislator and with the help of a lot of others. Oh, one other twist. Yeah. Two other twists I'll give you. When I first got elected, um, the Democrats, we didn't have probably 35, maybe 40 Democrats. And, you know, always always been in the minority pretty much, uh, except for a few times, Pat Bauer, uh, back in the up and by days when he was governor, that the Democrats could win the House. Um, so anyway, the bottom line was, uh, I sat in the very last seat, uh, my freshman year, seat number 99, uh, across from the Republicans, like the rest of the Democrats were. Yeah. And by the, two years later, the, the Democrat House Caucus, the people that I worked with, including Mike Phillips, a well-known former Speaker of the House from down in Southern Indiana, um, uh, he was re-elected minority leader by the Democrat House members, and I was elected assistant minority leader, uh, and I think principally because a lot of the Democrats would come to me on borderline issues, right. where if they voted this way, they, they, they might not win their next election, or they voted the other way, and, and I tried to help them find a common ground to work their way through to get done what was needed, but at the same time stay politically alive to, at the next election. So I was I was really overwhelmed that they came to me and asked me to take that position, uh, and and I served I served that two terms, including my my third term, and it was uh, and that was a, a fun experience because. I really got to know the rest of the state of Indiana oh, sure. through those individual legislators, and and I still feel at home going through almost any county to this day that I could pull over and get a well, I can't get a phone book, but look them up on the internet and and go over and say hi, and if they're still there, and by golly, we still remain friends all these years. Yeah, that's cool. Um. So thinking about just, you know, kind of how 
you served as a legislator. I mean, it sounds like you were kind of unique because you were very much independent of uh, party influence, it sounds like, uh, quite a bit. Uh, what would you attribute that to? Why were you uh, someone who really, you know, tried to go down the middle, I guess? Uh, well, I'll tell you, I'll give my mother credit. Excuse me. Number sure. one, and uh, a legislator who was just an outstanding person and a friend of mine, uh, his name is John Thomas. Uh, John was a Republican uh, from our neighboring county, Clay County, in the city of Brazil. Yeah. And when I first got elected, he was really the only uh, legislator I knew personally as an attorney because he was an attorney also. And so we met in the courtrooms and worked together on different cases. And so when I arrived at the State House, uh, um, John kind of took me under his wing and showed me where the bathrooms were and, and said, hey, Daryl, anytime you need anything or you have a question about a bill, you feel free to ask me and I'll help in any way. And I had the same respect back for John. Yeah. And so John Thomas always, he, he said to, to me, and I'll never forget it, he said, always analyze every word of the bill to make sure you didn't miss something. It could be very important later. And number two, always analyze the persons, the, the people that are behind the bill to find out for sure what their real motive is and that it's not some kind of a smokescreen for, you know, something like the license branches, for example. Yeah. And that, that I, I took that creed from him and I practiced it and I asked him a lot of questions my freshman year, I know, um, but he, he, if he didn't have an immediate answer, he would go around about, and he was, I think he was the assistant majority leader in the Republican Party, too, so he was not any, you know, small potato by any means. Right. And, and well-respected, and I might add, very, a very religious man that I respected the way he conducted himself at all times, and and just a wonderful man. So John gets number one credit, and then, like I said, my mother and her influence, uh, and and just the, the I, I was able to make friends pretty quickly once I got to know people, and and they knew where I was coming from versus uh, you know just just trying to make headlines or whatever attack they wanted to make on me. So that's kind of the way that went. And, but it's, it, uh, it, as you can tell, it's still a very soft spot in my heart and always will be. And yeah, one I'm very proud of. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. That's really cool. Um, it also kind of makes me think about, uh, you know, considering that your background was having parents who are from, uh, different political parties. I imagine that that could have possibly had some influence as well. That since your father was a Republican, or <laughs> yes, sir, uh, it, it surely did. Especially uh, the year that uh, uh, see uh, my first race was was Jimmy Carter running for president. So my mom, not being a farmer, was for 
for um, Jimmy Carter yeah. because she liked him and thought he was a nice, good man. And my dad, of course, said, oh, he's a farmer. He's going to make a great president. And so I, I remember several lively family conversations <laughs> back in the old days. Yeah. And then, and then, of course, it reversed in 1980. And my dad uh, was very upset with Jimmy Carter not helping the farmers that he had promised. And, uh, and of course, Ronald Reagan came along, and and uh, and I really liked Ronald Reagan uh, and his thinking. So even though I was on it, that I voted for Ronald Reagan for president in 1980. Oh, wow. not, not that I advertised it, but yeah. <laughs> it was my uh, uh, dad's influence uh, because he, he did likewise as well. First time he voted uh, for a Republican. Uh, <laughs> Um, on the other or uh, uh, no, yeah, on the national level, he, he usually would skip. If he didn't care for either one, he didn't vote for either one. Okay, interesting. So, you, so it sounds like then your your dad wasn't like a, a hardcore Republican, but more kind of a moderate then in terms of uh, voting. Yes. Yes, he, he wasn't big into politics. It was just that one school board issue yeah. that that really stirred him. And, and, it, and he was right on it. I can't remember all the details, but um, a lot of people came up to him after he won and said, oh, Ed, we're glad you won and, and get that change just like you said because that was ridiculous what that previous board had done. And I don't remember what what it was specifically now, but anyway, uh, yeah. I guess I just was kind of molded into a Republican-Democrat combined and <laughs> uh, tried to be of my own mindset and try to do what I thought was right. Uh, once you get all the facts and may not be the most popular, sometimes <laughs> it was the most popular, but yeah, popularity had really nothing to do with what was right or wrong. True. Yeah, that's a, a, a good point. Um, let's see, backtracking a little bit, um, after you graduated from DePaul, uh, what was your plan after that? Um, my plan was um, to, to go to law school, okay. and, and I was ingrained with that from my mother's influence. Uh, I, I said to her, probably my freshman year in high school or thereabouts that mom if I want to become a lawyer uh, I'll strike that I, I had just read the book Ambassador and uh, I can't remember if Stevenson wrote that book or who it was but I was very impressed with it so I asked her and this is how naive of a farm boy I was uh, to become a lawyer what uh, uh, you know, what would be the best thing to, to do to get that kind of a job? Because it sounds interesting. And she says, well, I, I think you probably need to be a lawyer. And so I went all the way through high school, even in our, our high school yearbook, I wrote, hope to see you all soon, not in the courtroom, but uh, someplace where we can have a friendly drink and talk about old times <laughs> and maybe a little law on the side. So. Yeah, I, I, I never, I never looked back uh, from that book and my mother's influence, uh, and I'm glad I 
did what I did, and I enjoyed my this this uh, well two weeks ago was my 49th uh, uh, year of law practice in Indiana. Oh wow! And uh, I've I've enjoyed 90 percent of it. Uh, I will admit, like any lawyer would, if they were being straight, uh, it's it's not all pleasant, and sometimes it gets ugly. Yeah. These days, it seems like it even gets uglier than the old days kind of look tame a little bit. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, it is. And I'm hearing that from a lot of other professionals, too. Uh, yeah. Just besides the legal profession. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like uh, that has become a, a societal problem in general. So, uh. Well, I'm afraid you're exactly right. <laughs> And I always, uh, I always thought that you know ethics was the bottom line, and I I served on the education committee, the ethics committee, and uh, um, uh, I, I I always refused to set on any kind of uh, attorney or law related because I felt like you know it could be a conflict of interest on the subject matter being voted on, and I didn't want to be in that situation. And uh, I knew there were other attorneys there with more experience than me anyway, so yeah, it would be better suited to do those things. Uh, one real quick story, if, sure. if it just came to mind. Yeah. Uh, this this was probably in 19, uh, the late, either 78 or 79, might have been 1980. Um, the... Uh, uh, a big dispute came up in Indiana about whether motorcyclists sh- uh, should be required to wear helmets when they operate a motorcycle on a public street. Mm. And uh, a lot of the abate was was created for the bikers, and and then there was a group in Indianapolis that more or less opposed the bikers and what they wanted. And so I thought, well, I got I got to read on this, so I went to a meeting of ABATE of about 80 to 100 bikers in a room, and me, the sole legislator, (laughs) and I told them that I had researched this, and what I would recommend is a compromise that there does need to be a helmet law for beginning operators, because they do not know the perils of riding on the streets on a two-wheel motorcycle. And yet, at the same time, for you veteran riders, you should be exempt as long as you take a test, which is the is the current law on motorcycle endorsements, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and you know uh, when you should wear a helmet uh, because of where you're going to be riding. If it's out on the county roads, you know, you yeah. decide. But if you're on 465, you better have a helmet on. And uh, and the legislature passed that bill. I think it's been tweaked once or twice since. Wow. And became law. But when I left that meeting, most of those bikers got the opinion that I said everyone should have to wear a helmet at least some point in time. Uh, that I was going to oppose them uh, for the, for them, uh, mm-hmm. and and I got a bunch of 
very angry letters in the mail before I realized that they misinterpreted what it said. And when I sent them the bill, they were thrilled to death because they said, yes, you're right. Beginning operator, that's that endorsement time frame until you, until you either forget uh, the, the specific rule, but you have to have some experience as a writer before you're exempt from wearing a helmet. Right. And, but when I left that meeting, I, I didn't know if they were going to throw me out the window <laughs> yeah. or drag me out the front door or the back door and feed the snot out of me or, or what. But uh, yeah. it turned out I became friends with, with many of them after we got the final law passed or the final bill. Yeah, that, that definitely takes some uh, uh, special navigating, I guess, when it comes to uh, trying to pass laws on, on kind of these cultural aspects of society like uh, biker culture. Um, you can, I guess, easily upset people if uh, <laughs> say the yes. wrong things. And it, and it was really my fault. I, I didn't get myself explained clearly. clearly um, and then when they saw the bill... <laughs> They were all smiles, but uh, but it was it was it was there were a few tense moments, and, uh, and yeah. I'm not uh, I'm six two, but I'm not exactly what you call a bully or a fighter as such. So yeah. I would have been uh, in bad shape if if they had done to me what they wanted to do to me. Yeah. Yep, yeah, I understand that. Uh, <laughs> so and. Yeah. And last but not least, uh, I can tell you that during your service, uh, I think I can speak for a lot of legislators since I at least was in one role of leadership, that, that notwithstanding personalities, notwithstanding party politics, back in the 70s, um, at least during the term I was there, in the early 80s, there was... To a great degree, civility, respect, and and I would say uh, having honor uh, to being a legislator, being a, being called a politician, being a Republican or a Democrat. Yeah. And that element uh, started slipping by I think following. Uh, I don't mean just my departure, but after 1982 anyway, and I I did a little lobbying work, and I I saw how really ugly the politics got in 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 those channels, like when the riverboat bill passed and stuff like that. Yeah, that uh, it, it had become a, a backstabbing, under under fighting. Uh, Dirty politics in some respects, not all of it, but but some of it to the point that it was becoming concerning. And of course, now you know what what's going on everywhere. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Do you think there is any specific aspects of the political system in Indiana that that made it head in that direction, or? Um. Well, I mean, just like with the redistricting, yeah. I mean, here we are, uh, and I'll just use my example in, in how they changed the map in 1980 on my single district, 
I know I know what's happening. I, I looked at the map and uh, saw what they did to uh, a couple of representatives, a, a congressman they put in the same district and legislators too. And so I just I just think it should be out of the hands of, of the people that are going to be running to draw the maps. I mean, it's kind of a built-in self-conflict. Yeah. And party grabbing power uh, taking method so it's it's not hard to put it in a computer and print it out with all the elements that need to be in it uh, regarding the geographics and I think you could probably get a darn near fair balanced map granted that there are population areas here and low populations area there in different areas so but I think a computer could figure it out these days. Um, yeah. With you know, with with the right programming. Sure. And uh, and and then we laid a rest of what really is is the reason why the Republicans have dominated for so long. Uh, I can't I can't remember the last time. Let's see. I guess Pat Bauer was Speaker of the House. Uh, after I had left, so there was a Democrat that was speaker, and then of course Mike Phillips had been before I left. Right. But nevertheless, there still were, uh, and and you know how many governors. I mean, Evan Bice tenure and 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 Frank O'Bannon, who by the way was was my one of my favorite Democrats. He 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 was solid as a rock. Honest as a day is long, would work with anybody, kind of like John Thomas, Representative Thomas, I mentioned. Yeah. And and I I just love Frank. Uh, he he was just he was such a fair man, and he would always call in both sides and hear their story if it was controversial, and and then tell them before the fact he announced it of what he how he made up his mind and why. So none of them were surprised or had reason to get mad at him and. He was just a country gentleman and lovely wife to boot. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so it kind of sounds like then uh, some of these uh, legal tools in politics, like gerrymandering and I guess you know, some people would say also like political lobbying, kind of over time could be manipulated more and more to help uh, sort of push... Uh, kind of this increasing political divide? Does that make sense? Jobs or whatever for their own personal gain versus what's good for the government and serving all the people and balancing all of that out to, be, to keep it fair and balanced, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. And that's not an easy task, but it's a doable task. And yeah. it's been done before because I've seen it. Yeah, I guess there's this, uh, I mean, considering you're around lots of different you know, politicians all the time when you served, and I guess if you're involved with some lobbying later on, um, do you, did you see people in the state government who in the legislature that would kind of become more uh, politically edgy almost or, or like, you know, a little bit more... Uh, kind of interested in preserving political power for themselves with their party 
over time? I mean, I'm just curious to see, like, is it just new people getting elected that are kind of wanting to play politics more, or is it people kind of changing over time in this political system as it's evolving? Well, that's, I, I, I have to be honest with you, uh, being uh, these many years after the fact to speak to what's going on right now, yeah, I, I'm frankly at a total loss. Uh, yeah, it, 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 I saw the early erosion of some of these elements that you spoke of that were starting to to get into power plays and and uh, self gain and whatever, uh, you know, be the be the the casinos or be whatever, uh, and. I'm I'm concerned now that it's moved even way beyond that. Yeah. Um, to a point of I hope it's not to a point of no return, but I think it's going to take probably something really nationally or worldwide that's going to have to open everybody's eyes. Hopefully, not the the wrong way, but the right way, or the, at least the correct way. And and get back to fundamentals, and get back to being if if you uh, if you're a man or a woman of your word, and and regardless of which religious faith you have, that you know, but have have a faith and uh, and be true to it. Uh, I, I think we're just going to have to go back to the fundamentals and try to bring it back in the back way and I don't see any hope at the top right now so yeah you know it's kind of kind of a scary scenario <clears throat> yeah yeah it's it's interesting to to hear because uh you, you kind of echo what I've heard from many uh former members of the Indian General Assembly uh where uh many of them just say they don't recognize politics anymore um not only nationally, but just within the state of Indiana. So it's kind of, it is kind of uh, uh, almost scary to, to hear just how much it's changed um, from the political issues of when you served to today, I guess. Yes, uh, I, would, I would definitely concur with 100%. Yeah. Um, well, let's see, thinking uh, uh, back again to what was your first uh, job when you got out of law school? My first job out of law school, uh, let's see, I started a solo practice in Terre Haute uh, and shared an office between two other attorneys that were well established, and they gave me one, his almost name was Jack Mankin, and he had been a former state senator. And I had met him and respected him a lot. And so he helped me on my civil cases. And then there was a gentleman with the name of Whoopi Nasser, uh, who was a well-known criminal defense attorney in Terre Haute. And uh, I shared the other half of the office with him. And then later, uh, Mr. Nasser and I became law partners and then we had a four-man law firm there at the corner of Third and Ohio, right across from the courthouse, for um, 
oh, close to 20 years. And then Bay and uh, Jack passed away. And, and then I uh, struck out on my own and opened the Greencastle branch office because of DePaul mainly. And then my son came into practice with me uh, after he got out of law school. Yeah, okay. Interesting. And so what was your career goal then? Um, was it just to have your own practice and, and continue to do that the rest of your life? or? Well, um, I guess I can say yes and no. Um, uh, the practice I, I thoroughly enjoyed in the early days, kind of like the... <laughs> Kind of like the legislative days, uh, um, it it, it uh, became um, not as enjoyable as time went on. I would say probably 10, 12 years ago, uh, as just a guesstimate of when things started turning south in the legal profession, when people would not be forthcoming and straightforward and honest about matters and um, the element of greed in the profession I saw mm, okay. kind of disturbed me and uh, so I, I eliminated some areas of practice. I was what you call a general practitioner but uh, I specialize in personal injury cases and, and, and high-line high criminal defense cases and uh, and that's pretty much what my son does now, um, except he's also the Terre Haute City Attorney. And uh, um, bottom line, I, I just, uh, I don't know quite what to think, uh, what it's going to take to get society back to doing what's right versus what's expedient and what's best for me and, and uh, the heck with the rest of it type attitude. Yeah, yeah, it seems, yeah, that seems like we're, we've drifted pretty far out there, yeah, at this point, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I'm still an optimist at heart. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be to go through all those battles. Uh, I, I, I still am a believer, personally, in this, you know, I'm not trying to get into faith, but, I, you know, I believe in God, and I believe we're going to turn the tables some way, somehow, hopefully for the best, and yeah. uh, and I'll never quit fighting for what I think is believing what I think is right, and try to do the right thing and convey other convey that to other people as well. Right, sure. Um, thinking a little bit about your your family, when did you get married? I got married in uh, my senior year of high school. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, pretty young. Yes, very young. Uh, too young because that marriage terminated, as, uh, let's see, in 1985, I think it was. Okay. And uh, I remarried, and um, we had one son, my wife, Jill, uh, three daughters by my first wife, Chris, and... Uh, my son, uh, Eddie, uh, named after my middle name, and my father, um, is uh, uh, in charge of the family, more or less. Uh, and frankly, uh, we uh, 
took a real turn for the worst in April. My wife had gotten cancer uh, two years ago, breast cancer, and she unfortunately passed away April 14th, and I've, I've never been the same since. I totally understand. That's terrible. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, it, she, she was a wonderful woman. She, she lobbied with me. She uh, campaigned with me. And uh, she was dearly loved by a lot of people and uh, enjoyed virtually everything uh, that I tried to do in both politics as well as in the legal arena. And she, our clients loved her and, and uh, constituents loved her and she was a wonderful woman. Yeah, sounds like the ideal situation then to be able to have someone you can work with throughout your life and stuff. That's cool. Yes, sir. Yes, and not very many people have the luxury to say that. But yeah, definitely. She, she was the main drive and to a great degree, great success uh, all the way around for everyone involved and anybody she came in contact with yeah that's that's fantastic um let's see when did you first become seriously involved in uh politics and wanting to run for the general assembly um i guess it was in 1975 and i I can't remember now, I'm embarrassed to say, that there was, there was some big political issue in Terre Haute, but not big statewide. And I remember uh, the, the incumbent uh, was on the other side of my view on it. And so I went in to see a gentleman by the name of C. Joseph Anderson, who was our circuit court judge, and I said, Judge, can I talk to you privately? Uh, I'm thinking about running for state representative, and I, I, I would value your opinion. And Joe was very opinionated and almost immediately said, well, Daryl, uh, let's see. We've got the richest, man, richest Democrat in town, son running on the Democrat Party. Uh, we've got this guy running here, this guy running there, and the incumbent's a Republican. Uh, I, I would say you probably can't win uh, <laughs> the primaries. Yeah. That, that's what I was worried about at the time. Right. And because of my mother. And so I said, when I shut the door, I said to myself, I'm going to prove the judge wrong. <laughs> And I campaigned my tail off uh, from scratch uh, and had a lot of wonderful people help in all walks of life and never looked back. Interesting. Okay. And it's interesting that uh, that particular judge was talking about uh, how wealthy one of your uh, competitors were. Um, how, how big of a role did money play in uh, running a campaign and elections at that time? Well, uh, I, 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 I'm trying to remember how much I spent. I, I think I spent about $1,200, and to be frank with you, I'm thinking about 1000 of it came from my own family and my own pocket. Uh, but the, the head man, uh, 
candidate that that was put up by the Democrat Party. Uh, his dad ran the biggest construction company in Terre Haute, and if his company didn't build it, nobody did, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and there were always questions about this, that, and the other, and some ethics and, at times. And so that kind of stirred me up a little bit. Uh, I never a- attacked uh, Mr. Haley uh, on that subject. It's, it was kind of common knowledge on the street, and everybody figured there's nothing anybody can do about it, so we'll just have to live with it. And uh, But what they did, didn't know, there was a buzzsaw called a school teacher out at Riley and, and, a, and a former um, school board member out at Sealyville uh, that uh, knew a lot of people and were well respected by a lot of people and I inherited that, thank God, from them and we were able through a lot of hard work and determination and trying to make government better uh, everyone and if I still have a bad opponent every election including uh, the, the mayors were always Democrat till recently and, and uh, that's why my son is yeah can you yeah uh, yeah uh, so, fading a little bit yeah you're fading a little bit I was just wondering if you could repeat repeat that part of uh, uh, just backtrack I guess last maybe 15 seconds of what you were saying I couldn't really hear okay yeah um, uh, the, the bottom line we have well we did have one Republican mayor back in the 60s uh, Lee, Leland Larson and Lee was former county clerk and a really good guy uh, but uh, he he lost uh, to Bill Brighton who was a very popular Democrat, but the bottom line, uh, Duke Bennett ran, you know, as a Republican, because if he ran in the primary against a Democrat, he would lose, because there weren't enough Republicans still to this day to get you elected as a Republican in the city of Terre Haute, and he was able to do that, though, not only once, twice, three times. I think this may be going on his fourth term. But he was able to do that with much of the philosophy, I think, that I've stated of, of he, he knows everybody by first name. He doesn't play party politics. He runs a clean ship. Uh, he's, he's a man of faith. He's this and he's that. And you rarely ever hear either party badmouth our current mayor uh, because he does it by the book. Yeah, and tries to help people in whatever subject or area they need help in. So um, he's he's uh, refreshing for the, our great little city here on the west side. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. Okay, um, when you first became involved in state politics. Were there any key issues or legislation that you wanted to champion or fight against? Well, uh, yes. Uh, matter of fact, my very first vote was on the Equal Rights Amendment. Oh. And that was the, let's see, <clears throat> let's see, 
Indiana passed passed that bill by one vote, and of course I take credit for that. Ha ha. <laughs> but, but I campaigned for it. I spoke to the League of Women Voters, and uh, back in the day when sometimes it wasn't so popular. Uh, but by golly, uh, it there, it truly did pass by one vote, and that was a piece of legislation that Birch Bayh worked on on the national level. Um, regrettably, it, the, the Equal Rights Amendment just kind of fizzled after that, and of course it never became reality. Yeah. Um, which to this day I still don't understand why any politician would kill that, <laughs> right? <laughs> or stop it, but uh, but they did, and uh, so. Bottom line, I I guess I'm going to have to refer back to your first question because the equal rights jumped in my mind and took my other thought away. Oh, no worries. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was just thinking about what key issues or legislation you championed or, or fought okay. against. That's right. Uh, I, I thought along with the Equal Rights Amendment, we needed uh, stronger ethics and conflicts of interest rules um, on how government in general, state, local, and and uh, the state house uh, uh, operated, and try to. And, and matter of fact, I think uh, I'll look, I grabbed one of my brochures here. Uh, well, yeah, here's. <laughs> uh, I worked on utility reform legislation when Public Service Indiana was uh, putting a surcharge on any time they wanted to. It was called a, a fuel adjustment clause. And uh, whatever they asked for, they should be, uh, they should, should be held in check and be able to, and made to go before a commission to justify an increase since, you know, they held a public license. And uh, it, it it finally, we did finally get rid of, of the of the fuel adjustment clause. I think it took us two years or maybe three to get it done. And uh, I thought the uh, the property tax um, on inheritance tax was pretty pretty much an unfair tax. And uh, I didn't author that legislation, but I I, I voted to repeal it. Um, because it just seemed like double to triple taxation, and especially on family farms and family businesses. Yeah. Uh, so that finally fell to the wayside, and uh, uh, well, and and one personal accomplishment, um, I was able to maintain a one hundred percent voting record in the House all three of my terms, which is not an easy feat. Yeah, okay. Um, because I took took my work very seriously and received the Outstanding Freshman Legislator Award from the State Public Employees Association uh, my freshman year as well. And then uh, uh, co-sponsored the, the motorcycle safety and licensing law that we now have, as I mentioned before. Um, gosh, um, I, I did, uh, ironically, I didn't serve on the, the uh, I did serve on, I'm sorry, the State Education Committee 
as uh, as an official request from my my dear mother. Uh, she said, "Son, you know an awful lot about education, both from your dad being on the school board and me being a longtime teacher." And I would come over, or she she would be willing to come over to the legislature. And she did come over a few times, and uh, of course they didn't know her background like me, but they knew she was my mother, and they paid her due respect, and and uh, she uh, helped motivate some legislators to work on some subjects that, especially to uh, to help help the, the disadvantaged and and the uh, uh, those who had learning disabilities. Mm, okay, and. Um, Later on, there became, I think, after I had left the legislature a year or two, a major reform in that category, which started off several years before the fact. Um, because usually by the time you introduce something on a new subject, in the old days anyway, uh, the firstborn concept of legislation that's introduced, a major impact potential uh, takes about three to four years to get it tweaked and all the way through the legislature. Right. You know, if it's ultimately going to pass. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it, it's a long, drawn-out process when you're working on the meat and potatoes of, of the key subjects. Yeah. And obviously then there are whims that come along, and or gee, we didn't realize that uh, the license branches... Uh, <laughs> We're pocketing state money yeah. for the benefit of the local party. <laughs> Sounds kind of stinky. But, yeah. uh, we couldn't even get it down the legislature, but the federal judge did it for us. So, yeah. And of course, then it changed after that by that judge's order. But uh, anyway, uh, any other questions? Yeah, yeah, I have a few. Um, okay. Yeah, so uh, thinking back to the Equal Rights Amendment, uh, you know, can you kind of put it in perspective what exactly the big debate is about for people who are going to listen to this in the future? Um, and, sir, you know, what were the main uh, concepts being thrown out there uh, in, for the bill and against the bill? Well, you know, that is taking me back to 1976 and before. Yeah. <laughs> It, I guess it to me it just seemed like an obvious give me yeah. that there should be equal rights for men and women uh, and, and of course there was an amendment that pertained to that in part already but the, the fact that supposedly they wanted it clarified absolutely uh, it, so I really can't tell you the opponents of, I, I heard, I can remember some of the words that were spoken against it, but they struck me as, as being illogical and kind of two-faced, uh, <laughs> okay. the way it was put. Yeah. And so, to this day, I'm still at a loss as to why it's still just floating out there and kind of falling to the wayside. Uh, uh, because it should be something obvious that is needed and clarified and made an amendment and move on. Sure, yeah. Um, it, it truly is mind-boggling. Yeah, 
Yeah, it seems like uh, that uh, it's just kind of yeah gone away at this point. So. Right. Yeah, some, and, and Birch Bayh gets a lot of credit for having author, authored it on the federal level and pushed it uh, with, with the groups that were behind it to get it made a nationwide issue. And, uh, and then, you know, after he, he got out of politics, it just, uh, uh, in part, I think that contributed to it. Uh, uh, there just wasn't anybody there to pick it up and run with it or... However, they thought on the federal level at that point. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, see, when you were running your campaign, uh, did you have like a particular message that you were reiterating to uh, potential constituents and stuff? Um. Well. Uh, first of all. Um, I, I always had a campaign platform, and uh, I listed my what I called uh, oh my my background and experience and family uh, roots in the in the district, and uh, that I you know certainly took a strong voice um, in the area of, of drunk driving. Uh, in the old days, the drunk driving threshold was 0.15 alcohol before they could arrest you, and then we we got it down to 0.10. I want to say around 1978 or nine, and then we got it down to 0.08 uh, in in, our, in the, the last term I served. Um, where it is currently, and luckily, I mean, there was a direct impact of injuries and fatalities to, you know, basically cutting it in half, because uh, a first-time drinker on point one five could easily be intoxicated, yeah. um, because they're not used to alcohol, let alone, and it may be two, two drinks, three drinks that they're totally unfit to drive. Um, so it took an education um, <clears throat> and a per- pretty strong lobbying effort. Um, I, I worked and tried to help them in finding a better way to, to do the intoxilizing test so when the alcohol level came down, it wouldn't discriminate, uh, you know, based upon... Uh, different factors that come into play in how those machines read because there was there was a couple of quirks in in uh, the intoxilizers uh, when they changed those and uh, so I, I saw some unfairness on the other side of the coin that need, needed change but the point of weight law stands and uh, um, I've I don't take full credit for it because uh, Senator, I think, I uh, can't remember, Fort Wayne was one of the big promoters behind it, uh, along with the, uh, 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 what were called the Mad Mothers Association. Okay. And they were 
they, I listen to them a lot over here in Terre Haute, and uh, I always acknowledged uh, that education matters on all levels of school. Uh, K through 12 were very important. Uh, as I told you, I kind of, I would testify before the education committee, but I would rarely get involved directly in them if they were involving elementary schools, like my mother's school. Uh, but I enjoyed working with both sides behind the scenes to make better, better bills. Uh, uh, I think, if I remember right, we introduced one session I introduced a whistleblowing bill that <laughs> I think that came shortly after the license branch uh, uh, lawsuit uh, had been and I knew there were people around the state that had stories to tell and needless to say uh, I had a tough time getting that bill through because I'm sure they wanted most of that those stories buried permanently and uh, they said oh you've already got the license branch ref uh, reform Daryl you don't well, why are you messing around with the whistleblowing I said well uh, Dennis Avery and I were whistleblowers and you people gave us a lot of help uh, when we were trying to do the right thing and so whistleblowers need some protection yeah. if they're legitimate and you check it out and so I couldn't tell you the current status of, of the state law on it, but uh, that led to some frustration on my side, as you could imagine. And uh, and I, I purposely stayed away from um, anything to do with, with the judiciary or the practice of law. Uh, I, I left that to the American Bar Association and the State Bar Association, but I would attend their functions and listen to changes they wanted to make, uh, especially in the child abuse arena, because that was a pet peeve of Dennis Avery and, and he and I, you know, I mentioned him before, uh, Dennis, Dennis was one of the life savers in, in the child abuse area. He, he really went to bat, uh, like I, various areas as well in di different arenas. But he was, uh, he was like a legislator, whistleblower, uh, trying to improve things to curb child abuse and make things better for, for the people in those circumstances. Yeah, okay. Interesting, wow. Um, thinking again about uh, your first election, what did you think of the election process? Did it seem pretty orderly and and you know sophisticated and worked well? Or uh, I did, yes. Um, I I thought it was. Uh, matter of fact, I, I think I got. Uh, I don't remember the exact number, but I got like twelve thousand nine hundred votes, and my opponent had like nine thousand votes which was uh, cons considerably different than, than before. And, um, and the other two were not quite that lopsided, but fairly close to it. 
as, as far as the 50th district was concerned of my district and uh, but in general uh, I, I felt that uh, the elections were certainly substantially different than when I got the Attorney General's opinion because I knew the absentee voting uh, had had ceased uh, in that format and they were following the law and I think the law was even tweaked to make it stronger than it was before Yeah, because of those abuses. So in general, um, I was satisfied that, that there was parity and fairness in the election system and uh, we had pretty good county clerks for the most part uh, and they play a crucial role in keeping it fair and being a checkmate on the political party chair people uh, that the license branch had created. So when that was gone, that that helped change it too. Yeah, okay, sure. And so how did you feel when you first found out that you uh, won the election? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I was elated to say the least. I, I, I probably went to sleep that night thinking, I should have won, but I probably won't. Okay. Uh, just, just because I was a newcomer, and and, uh, but I knew in my heart, all the people that told my mom and dad and my brother and sister and myself and my friends that they were going to vote for me, that I had a fighting chance, but I, I didn't think it would uh, quite turn out to be. I wouldn't call it necessarily a landslide, but it was a, it was a. It was a good victory. Yeah, sure. Um, and I think it spoke for the people, too, because I think the people that knew me knew I was just a grassroots, uh, I hope to say, I don't mean this self-serving the way it sounds, a down-to-earth kind of person. Yeah. I would listen to anybody about anything and try to help them if I could, because that's one reason why I wanted to be a lawyer in the begin to begin with. And uh, I think I developed a good relationship there and heard it to Greencastle as well and and uh, statewide for that matter I've probably practiced in two-thirds of the counties in the state including murder cases so that's a that's a lot of a lot of territory for a, a, a small law firm yeah sure that makes sense um, and uh, what were your first thoughts when you walked into the state house for your first official day in office? <laughs> you won't, uh, well, I had to ask John Thomas where the bathroom was. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> um, uh, when I uh, when I drove up, I didn't know where to park. Of course, you know, <laughs> the freshman, it's first day. Yeah. So I I pulled all the way up to the north door of the state house. And, and there was a guard there, and uh, I said, sir, uh, uh, I, I need to know where I park, and he was real nice. He says, are you a, a freshman legislator? And I said, yes, sir, and I, I gave him my house number, 99. So he said, well, I hate to, hate to tell you, if it's, you're on the very last row uh, uh, across the street. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and he said, is this little convertible your personal car? And I said, yes. He said, well, uh, Representative Felling, I hate to tell you this, but we've been having problems uh, 
securing the parking lot when the legislature's in session in the later hours at night, or if you leave your car in your parking spot, which you can, uh, your car may, might not be there at that spot when you return the next day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and this, this is like talking to a kid in the China Club, and I go, what? Yeah. He said, oh, I, I'm dead serious. He said the speaker's van was parked, and he pointed over to a blank spot. There was no van there then. He said it was just stolen, oh, two or three weeks ago, and they just found it floating down the White River. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I said, you, 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 are you serious, sir? And he said, unfortunately, yes, and, and security forces were going to try to make it better. So he said, if you got another car, I'd recommend you drive it, uh, especially because that rain top's not going to do it. It probably won't even be here in two days if you continue to drive it. So that, that impression uh, was, was kind of a shocker. Yeah. Uh, even though my, you know, I knew Vaughn, I knew uh, uh, how things like that need to be dealt with, but the bottom line, I didn't. <laughs> Didn't expect to have it put in my face right off the get-go. Yeah, that's a, that's a so. Um, wow. But I I can say that that nine ninety percent of the people plus were courteous, friendly, helpful, despite our differences as legislators, and the staff were were good people. Uh, very few. Uh, problems uh, in that regard, and especially when I got in leadership, I had to, you know, do some of those interviews and do those types of that type of work uh, for the party and the caucus. And uh, so, in general, um, it got better after the first day. Is all I can say. And it yeah. Got, for the most part, better every day thereafter to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right. Right. I, I guess you never got your car stolen, so that's good. <laughs> yes, sir. I did trade the car, though, not too long <laughs> after that, just because I, yeah. uh, I couldn't afford a third one. Right, okay. Um, how did you know the needs and wants of your constituents? Well, it, it was, uh, let's see, that brings to mind, I had an old campaign slogan, slogan, uh, See if I can find it. I've got this one brochure here. I should, I'll even mail it to you if you want. It was. Sure, that'd be interesting. From, let's see, 19, 1980, and. I don't know. Let's see. Uh, excuse me, 19. kind of like with the bikers, 
Um, you yeah. know it needs to be made better, but I wasn't a biker, so I'm not the person I should listen to the bikers and do in part what they said, and, and what they said was very helpful to create the current law. Um, and then go to the state house and work, and then getting it through took, uh, well, it took, took every bit of a long session to get it done, as I recollect. I mean, it was, because you have to go over to the Senate, testify, and get a Senate sponsor, you know, and do all those things. So um, uh, it's a lot of, lot of work, but I, I really felt even back then that, that the politicians, especially in this county, were running the, in part, the legislative system as well as the local party for personal gain and personal uh, uses versus what's good for the public in general and what can we do to make our lives better and easier for the workplace and everything else. Yeah, okay, sure. Um, do you remember the very first bill that you ever sponsored? Oh my goodness. Um, if not, that's okay. I'm just curious. <laughs> I, also, I know I had a tendency to introduce more bills. I learned after the first session. Um, so the bottom line on um, getting the, the, the bills through, it's uh, uh, I, I started reducing the number of bills by my second term and, and certainly third term and tried to stay in areas of specialty that I felt comfortable in, that I knew something about, like license branch reform or motorcycle uh, driving laws. And, and uh, uh, But I, I couldn't tell you how many total at this point I introduced and or passed in, in the totality of how I introduced it. Yeah, okay. Sure. And, and I quickly learned the art of amendment. Um, that, that was one thing that many legislators, uh, uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't think they realize what the power of, of a good amendment to make a good bill even better is the easiest way to get something done. And, and, and like I said, it has to be good, and you don't get very many good ones dropped in your lap, but uh, keep your ears open, your eyes open back home, and you come up with ideas that your constituents need or want. And so I, I worked, that's why uh, that I wanted to listen to my constituents and then go over there and work for them, and it started at home and ended up at the state house. And that format worked pretty well. Uh, all three terms. Yeah, okay. Interesting, all right. Um, in terms of uh, the General Assembly and kind of how it operates, um, what were the regular interactions like amongst different uh, members of the General Assembly? Uh, I would say uh, very cordial. Uh, for the most part, I've rarely heard of even... I've never heard of a physical altercation. I never heard people, uh, certainly on the floor of the house anyway, uh, use foul language. Uh, most, most. I mean, it was it was civil back in those days, and we. I think we all tried to some degree to agree to disagree when we had to, and and move on, and and 
and get it done. Uh, because sometimes you just can't uh, you can't convince everybody of any given one thing uh, as a rule, and especially with so many different uh, issues involved in even simple bills. So um, it just became a, a one of those things that the civility was overall quite well, I will tell you. Uh, by the time we got down to my last term, I felt there was starting to develop some political, more political friction than I had observed back in 76. And, uh, and that was another reason why I, along with the gerrymandering and everything else, that it was time to step aside. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I understand. What about the differences between the House and the Senate? Was it uh, noticeable? Or I've heard people in the past say the uh, sort of the atmosphere is a little bit different. Um, did you get that impression as well? Uh, yes, yes. Um, I think um, I I never was able to cultivate a relationship with Bob Garton, and and he was the uh, president pro temp of the Senate during my tenure. Uh, <clears throat> I and bills that once I got him through the House, I went over and talked to him uh, about, and I remember at least a few conversations where I could tell right off the get-go that somebody either already beat me over, uh, i.e. a lobbyist, over to him uh, to uh, say this this motorcycle bill, for example, is not a good bill. You really, really shouldn't do this. Uh, um, so I, I didn't know how... I, uh, our president pro tem, and, and I call him still that to this day. And I have full respect for him. I've never known him to, you know, to do anything backhanded or, or otherwise, uh, or really any legislators do anything, you know, that was uh, improper. Uh, but I do believe that there was an error in the Senate uh, that they felt like, you know, for. In, in some instances, uh, that they were superior, uh, in part, uh, because they were the Senate, and they were senators, and we were in the House, and we were, we were House members, so right. I, I, I always felt it to a degree, but I can't say I was ever spoken down to, or uh, I was able to get you know, to get a bill through, you've got to get it through both uh, chambers. So you and I had real good friendships with uh, one of our legislators, our senator from Terre Haute. Uh, uh, oh, shoot. His name just came to mind and slipped. Uh, Bob, uh, he was also an attorney uh, from Terre Haute. Uh, oh, Bob, I apologize to you. I can't. <laughs> I can't, I can't think of Bob's last name, so... Uh, no worries. But, um, uh, oh, Bob Meeks. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and now, I, I'm sorry, Bob Meeks is from LaGrange, 
and a Republican, so he was a guy that I would work with uh, on the point oh eight, and uh, I think ultimately Bob took over and and helped get the uh, motorcycle law through too. So I yeah. think Bob's retired, and then his brother also served in the Senate for a while. But in general, uh, I don't I don't think it was any any big issue. Um, uh, at least that was, you know, taunted to me in any way, shape, or form. And um, I just, uh, and if I did detect any, I usually just ignored it. Yeah, okay. Uh, do you remember kind of the ways that you would garner support for different legislation you tried to create? Well, uh, number one, talk to your other legislators from your area. <clears throat> um, I was instrumental in reintroducing what was called cracker barrel stations uh, during my first term because they used to have them, I guess, back in the in the 60s uh, before. And when I found out about them, um, I thought that that's a good you know good way to be listening to your constituents. And uh, I think they still do them to this day. Uh, here in Vigo County, so um, that that was a, a very important method of communicating. Uh, I would also send copies of bills to groups such as the the Terre Haute, the Terre Haute Board of Realtors when there was something introduced by another legislator that would affect you know all the, the realtors statewide, and then ask them to analyze it if they had questions, either contact our lobbyist or contact uh, me, and I would go in and, and, and if they'd asked me to come speak to a board of directors meeting or membership meeting, I would go and address that bill and make some other general comments about what was going on in Indianapolis. And so I, I tried to keep a two-way street of communication going on at all times. I even did a call-in radio uh, during session for uh, to give a, a two-minute review of what took place uh, <clears throat> during the session, the, the particular days that we were in session, and and that was broadcast live on WBOW and WTHI radios, and they they did that as a complement uh, complimentary space to do it, and then they had. They, they sold advertising for it, you know, to make to make their money. But uh, I, I really tried to, to, especially groups that I didn't know anything about, because obviously if there's anybody in Indianapolis that says they know every law and they know everything about Indiana, they are full of BS. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it's impossible. Right. Um, at least for me as a human being, now maybe a computer could do it, but... Uh, Bottom line, um, there are a lot more groups out there, too, than what you can ever imagine in interest groups, and, and that's good because those people and, and their businesses and their families and their schools and everything else are affected by so many different things that the legislature is responsible for, and uh, the only way you find out things is talk and right. communicate and try to figure out what's best and then go to Indianapolis and try to get it done. Yeah. 
when when you were voting on legislation, um, did you have a sense of how other people would vote in the General Assembly? Um, not all. It's, uh, usually, uh, once you became personal, or not necessarily personal, but became more knowledgeable of, of your colleagues, uh, you knew their interest background, uh, you know, what their vocation was, uh, what they've said to you on bills, you, you know, like that I introduced, uh, uh, and they would come and say, hey, can I co-author that bill with you or whatever, and so it was, uh, it was kind of a situation where you, 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 you worked, you worked hard, you tried to get the facts, and, uh, uh, people I found back in those days anyway, both your constituents as well as your fellow legislators and madam le- legislators um, did a, a decent job of communicating uh, and flushing things out before you'd have to take the final vote on a bill. So overall, I, I was impressed with the uh, Oh, shall we say, the the tone of the legislature uh, back then, uh, yeah. not necessarily now. Um, I'm not saying it isn't, but uh, all I know is what I read now, and some of that's not so gracious. Uh, but I do believe that I, I still believe in mankind. I still believe in it. It's probably works as well as any other form of government that I know of or have ever heard of and certainly was glad to be a part of. So I think that sums it up. Yeah, okay. Sure. Um, Let's see. How influential would you say party leadership was to uh, determining whether legislation would pass or not? Uh, very important. Okay. Uh, uh, I can I can think of on the riverboats, for example, and the casinos, uh, and the tavern owners w- wanting to legalize their what they call cherry master machines for taverns and bars to help the little guys, which I tried to help them on that. Uh, the riverboats and casinos carried a big stick. And how they got it done, uh, I have no idea. I just know uh, that at one point we thought we had enough votes to to pass, and we got it through the House uh, that we could get that bill through the Senate, and that would help every little mom-and-pop shop, uh, uh, be they uh, a liquor store or a tavern or a restaurant with uh, a liquor license and already have strict laws they have to comply with and let that money be dispersed, the profit that is, in part, to uh, the many people out there for the state of Indiana. But in the end result, uh, uh, when the governor announced his support for the riverboats, uh, that was pretty much it. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with what happened because I don't know. But it was uh, 
I didn't think the best decision for the general public and the people of Indiana and certainly the small business owners of Indiana. So that's that's one you have to mark up for the giver, I guess. Yeah, okay, sure. Uh, did you ever kind of butt heads with party leadership at all during your time? Um, ironically, no. Uh, uh, my party, I mean, the Democrat Party treated me just like one of, one of themselves. I mean, they didn't know all my background. Uh, even after I filed the lawsuit, most of them came to me and said, you know, we got a dirty, rotten party county chairman back of my home county, and I can't believe they picked the, some of their money and, and, and donated it to my opponent the last election. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that kind of hits close to home, so. Yeah. Yeah, I heard I, I heard different things from time to time, and and uh, but but you know nothing that was uh, scandalous or out left field in my opinion. Right, sure. Um, and it sounds like the relationship between Democrats and Republicans when you served was decent. It didn't seem like it was too too toxic. It, it was not too toxic. Uh, at all, uh, when uh, oh, what was the doc's name that was governor of Indiana, uh, Doc Bowen? Mm-hmm. When Doc Bowen, I, I could I could go in his office. I mean, I have I call make an appointment, and and he knew I was from Terre Haute. I mean, he knew me as a Democrat, and he I think had already left the governorship before I got into leadership, but but that man w- was much like Frank O'Bannon. Just, just down to earth, a wonderful person, a great physician, a great speaker, uh, and I, I never heard one complaint about him yeah. in, our, in our caucus. And you know, if you're gonna hear complaints, the minorities, minority party would be complaining about the other party's uh, speaker. So, uh, for the, I, I was I was amazed of overall how well the system worked. It, it still needs improvement. Uh, has needed, excuse me, has needed improvement uh, in certain areas like gerrymandering for seems like forever. And I'm sure there are new issues over there now that I'm not aware of that uh, probably need to address too. But. I, I just hope and pray that that key word of civility comes back. Yeah. Because I don't think it's there from the local legislators here I've been talking to. Keep, you know, I run into them and we we share stories and and uh, I always ask what what the latest at the state house and usually I get a pretty good earful uh, of the same old same old uh, uh, not so good reports yeah so hopefully that's going to change but how when and where and I couldn't couldn't give you a clue I don't think at this point sure no, I understand um, what would you say were the most what was the most controversial legislative issue when you served in your opinion most controversial um, well Oh, boy, that covers a lot of turf. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I really, I, I don't know if I could really pick one out. Um, the, the gambling, the gaming air arena became very uh, potent during the last uh, uh, year I was there and the riverboats passed the year before legislation and there, there was a, a lot, a lot of talk about that. Um, but in, in general, the, the seemed like sometimes the controversial ones were the, the least you, well, I'll give you one comes to mind is, uh, legalizing Laetrile. Mm. Um, have you ever heard of, of the so-called, uh, cancer medicine? I, yes. Yep. Okay. Well, we had a bill, um, introduced to legalize Laetrile in Indiana and, uh, I got a, a ton of mail on it. Uh, back then, our Democrat uh, long-term mayor, I think six terms, Mayor Ralph Tucker, uh, even came over and paid a visit to me when he found out I was going to vote against it. And uh, he said, Daryl, uh, I have cancer, and I've done, I've gone to every doctor I know, and they some tell me the only place I can go now is to Mexico or wherever it was they made that. I uh, can't remember now, but... Uh, he said, "Please, for me, will you will you, will you change your vote?" And and I and I I got along with the mayor just fine. He was you know interesting person and a good guy. And I finally said to him, "The reason I'm not voting for this is because my family doctor and several of the doctors' associations in the state have sent us letters, including the one doctor in the house, uh, Ned Lampkin." who is against the bill because he says people won't get the proper treatment and they're getting a false hope uh, with the Laetrile. Yeah. And finally, I had to go with the medical profession on a medical issue versus my good old friend, the mayor. Uh, uh, and, and it hurt. It hurt for me to do it, but... I felt that there was going to be more harm done by people getting false treatments or false hope versus the real medicine. And, of course, you know, we're still fighting that battle. Yeah. Uh, even though I did hear they had some kind of a breakthrough on breast cancer recently. Uh, American Cancer Society sent me a postcard about it. Mm, okay. I was pleased to hear that. But anyway, so I would I would say probably... The lateral and and the gaming would be the two big areas. Yeah, sure. And the lateral was kind of drug out the whole session before they realized they weren't going to be able to get the votes and went ahead and put it on the board, but uh, and they didn't get them. But uh, I still felt bad voting against it, but I felt like I had to represent a majority of my constituents and do what medically and morally seem to be right. Right. <clears throat> um, let's see. What would you say was the biggest hurdle you had to overcome during your time in office? Well, from, from coming from Vigo County, uh, Terre Haute, which has always been kind of a stepchild, uh, to Indianapolis, uh, not saying that's all bad, but, uh, uh, 
if it weren't for the Holman family, we definitely would have been one. <laughs> um, I, um, being a little bit naive growing up on the farm as I did uh, about politics in general, except for my dad's experience, and it was good. Um, it was like walking into a whole new world that I really had no general comprehension of. Yeah. Until I got in there and rolled up my sleeves and went at it, did my work, and uh, took a few lumps on some bills and won some bills and felt like overall the way the people treated me back home was they thought I was doing a good job and reelected me three times, having both the Democrats and the Republicans uh, trying to beat me. Yeah. Each year, or each every other year, I should say, and and then getting in party leadership my final year. So I just, uh, um, I, I, I thought as being an attorney, I would have a little bit of an advantage of the general knowledge, but um, uh, the judiciary and the legislative branches are two totally separate, let me, let me assure you. So while I understood the legal terms, I didn't understand the legislative terms as always. Yeah. So. Uh, but on the other side of the coin, I think I could identify with a lot of average people and down-to-earth people and people who wanted to do good and do right and do it by the book. And uh, I'm sure I left a little bit of that over there for other people to absorb and and carry on. Yeah, sure. Um, let's see. So I have uh, a specific question based on some research I did, and then I have a few Big, que- uh, big picture questions, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, okay. If that sounds good to you. Yes. Okay. Um, so I-, I saw that you had worked on um, a bill, something about uh, preventing convicted felons from lobbying. Do you remember anything about that? Uh, I, I don't think I authored it. Uh, yeah, I just. I may have co-authored it. Uh, yeah. I saw your name in the newspaper about it, but I wasn't sure exactly your role. Um, I, I never, as I said earlier, I never served on the Judiciary Committee I was asked to or um, any anything dealing with the practice of law in general uh, because I didn't want it to seem as a conflict of interest yeah. know, from my own personal point of view or practice point of view. So... Um, but I, I may well have voted for that. I conceptually, I I wouldn't feel that way these days. I could say that that yeah. uh, because I'm a little broader minded than I was then. And and I, by the way, at, at the time I was there, uh, I think on my third term, my second term, I was the youngest legislator um, elected in my class of uh i guess 76 or hmm. it was either yeah 76 or 78 i can't remember yeah so being that young as well uh, i had a lot to learn and i tried to do it expeditiously and from the right people and all i can say is that I tried my best sure yeah no i understand um do you have, I know you've already told some stories, is there a particular favorite story that comes to mind from your time as a legislator? Oh my gosh, 
I guess I'd have to think on that one. Uh, <laughs> no worries. Uh, pro- probably. Well, yes, I do. Uh, I have a, one of my favorite pictures. Of course, you, you, you have pages, and John Thomas, uh, the legislator I mentioned before, he would even drive his pages over to the state house and drive them back home after afterwards. I mean, he was that dedicated. Uh, I I had a lot of requests for pages, and you know I got as many in as I could. But I've, I finally got my mother to come over, uh, and and got got the uh, Mike Phillips to agree to let me introduce her as a special person, special occasion uh, type deal. And uh, she she couldn't even pull the microphone down low enough because she's only five foot two. Mm-hmm. Pull it down low enough that it, it would amplify her voice. So, so he went over and and gave her a chair and and let her kind of raise up off that a little bit so they could hear her. She only just did a small greeting. It wasn't a speech or anything. But she was so tickled, and the photographers got some great pictures of her. And on a personal level, that was. Uh, and then I also sponsored Larry Bird when when we were runner-ups to the national championship in '79. Oh, okay, wow. It was, it was cool having him over there and the team and uh, coach and everybody. And of course, I knew Larry before and, and after and. Uh, I haven't seen him since he uh, relocated, but uh, bottom line, I put those two, and of course, there's a world of difference between Larry Bird and my mother, but especially <laughs> in height. But uh, yeah. anyway, those would be mine I can think of off the top. Sure, okay. Um, what lessons uh, would you say you learned from your experiences at the General Assembly? Well, probably to rarely use the word never and rarely use the word always yeah (laughs) and and to uh lay aside your fears and and of the unknown because if you don't dive into what your work is at hand and being a legislator as the old saying is is like a meat grinder uh uh analogy um it has some similarities, certainly. <laughs> so I, I can I can say that you just need to uh, be versatile, be open, be honest, be faithful, be true, and, and admit when you're wrong. Because yeah. I was wrong on several things. Well, more than several, probably more than I even can remember at this point. Okay. But yeah. Always, always be re- always be willing to. To listen a second time around, and uh, just like with the pickers, and by golly, keep trying, and eventually uh, progress can and will be accomplished. Yeah, sure. Uh, do you have any regrets as a legislator? Uh, I really do not. I mean, I I'm, I'm sure I was. I know one reason why I, I got into elected as assistant minority leader was because I could. I was a little bit of an orator. Uh, okay. Uh, and when when the House passing a big budget that the Democrats were strongly opposed to, 
I that uh, during the during the even years uh, uh, get that that was I don't know if that was the '78 budget or the '80 budget, but anyway, I I got up and and used Fantasy Island analogy of of saying well over on this side of the aisle we have the uh, residents of Fantasy Island and over on this side we we have the workers of Fantasy Island and over on this side we have the Fantasy Island people flying their planes in with all of their high rollers and and people that know it all and over here on the left side we we have the intellectuals and the people who've been there and done it and uh, and then I, I I yelled the sound of a what wasn't real close to a plane, and then I said, "And guess what, gang? There's the plane. There's the plane, and it's going to the Republican side." <laughs> and they howled their their lungs out. Um, and uh, and then a few other times, legislators would ask me speak against a piece of legislation that they were strongly opposed to, but they. They they didn't want to get up and talk on it for whatever reason and yeah so I, I just tried to be helpful where I could uh, I certainly wasn't the best orator by far in the legislature there were many good ones and many better than me but I just had my own kind of farm background way of saying some <laughs> stuff that sure. they kind of liked <laughs> sure okay uh, what was your proudest moment as a legislator. Well, probably, and I know it was just more of a token than anything, but when, when the, the uh, um, I guess the Indianapolis Star sponsored it, but when the publications that covered the news, the, uh, the state house during session uh, took the vote my freshman year, and I mean, I was low man on the totem poles, I told you, and yeah. number 99 and virtually unknown by the Democrats on, on my side, and John Thomas was the only one I knew on the Republican side personally. Um, was was getting the outstanding freshman legislator of the year award. I mm. uh, and that yeah. was Democrat legislator because uh, they give a Republican one too. Um, and I just thought that was kind of special for somebody they never heard of, and and uh, gave me a, a, a little credibility uh, beyond. Uh, um, the norm, I guess. Yeah, that's a that's a cool accomplishment to have. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give to future legislators or even current legislators? Well, um, be as humble as you can, despite your successes, because success speaks for itself. Number one. Number two. Always be honest. Be truthful, even to the degree that it hurts inside, because you can always count on the truth to come through most of the time, but the others will never come through. Most of them will bite you. Yeah. And lastly, I guess, be true to yourself, your friends, your family, and to our country. Yeah, sure. Um. What, in your opinion, is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? Well, in a nutshell, try to pass good legislation that helps 
most people uh, try to, to defeat legislation that hurts people where it can be avoided or done a different way and in general listen to people and really listen um, to the point that as an example I would get phone calls even late at night at my home uh, I, I live on uh, 7th Street and my alley's full of chuck holes um, I'm just sick of this uh, Mr. Felling Is, isn't there something you can do about it and and so I finally wised up and put out a little flyer before they become numerous these days uh, and and put a list of city offices and departments and who's responsible you know here's the street commissioner's name and phone number at city hall and and here's who's responsible for this, that, and the other. And and a lot of people said, gee, that was very helpful. Uh, can't even find it correctly in the phone book. And I made one phone call, and my alley got taken care of the next day. So I couldn't have done that as a legislator. Um, so it's communication with your fellow human beings and your citizens and your constituents. Yeah, sure. Communication is the bottom line. And if you can't communicate, you, you don't belong there. And if you don't want to communicate, you don't belong there. But if you want to help and you can communicate, you need to be there. Because we have people doing a tough job and we need it done better than it is now. Yeah, absolutely. That makes, makes total sense. Um, see, last, last few questions here. Um, what does the public not know about the Indiana General Assembly and how it operates? Well, I would say there's a lot more they don't know than what they do know, and, and that's just because it, the, the legislative process is, is uh, difficult to follow. Uh, when, when you get down to crunch time, when the real things happen, they're in recess, 90% of the time, so if you even went over there and sat for a week, they may not even be in session that week. Um, it, it's, it's very difficult to uh, follow legislation without having, you know, uh, uh, an axe in the, in the, or a dog in the race, so to speak. Um, and so I think people, I, I like the way people still go to our Cracker Barrel sessions here locally, and I'm sure statewide to some degree, because that's a good way to get answers to questions of things they've heard about in Indianapolis or read in the paper from their own legislators. Um, and I think many legislators are very conscientious about communicating in general with their newsletters, etc. So I just, I just think... Uh, uh, communication has to be not just one way either. It needs to be a two-way street, and yeah. you can make things happen. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, how has the state of Indiana changed over the course of your lifetime? Uh, I guess I'm going to have to ask you on that one in, in what respect. You mean as, as the... As, how the legislature's changed, or yeah, the yeah the legislature and I guess society overall. Well, 
unfortunately, I'm an optimist at heart, but I'm kind of kind of become a little bit more pessimistic uh, uh, in general um, from the standpoint that I, I think people don't take responsibility for their own actions uh, a lot when they should always uh, face the music, so to speak, if they're responsible for whatever happened or need to make a change. Uh, I, I would like to hope that people have a basic faith and I don't care what what denomination what what arena uh, uh, just that they have a basic faith that's their 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 where they're coming from uh, from their heart their soul or whatever right and and then treat people the way they would want to be treated by anyone from the doorman to uh, the poor guard that had to tell me my convertible probably would disappear the next day. <laughs> uh, he was just doing his job, and he, he did it politely, and I admired him for it. Uh, would always speak to him just for that favor, because he could have easily looked the other way and said nothing. Yeah. To a stranger, especially. Uh, but... Um, I think we just have to get back to basic values and uh, and beliefs. And if we we can do that, um, progress can be made. And I think common ground can be reached. But it's going to take uh, a new way of doing business, and not all because of, it has to be political one way or the other, or politically right or politically wrong or any such thing. I don't. I don't know that I ever heard those two terms while I was in the legislature the whole time. Well, you know, I can't say a few people didn't say, well, you're just doing that because it's politically correct. Well, that was a rare bird back in those days. Today, it, it is the bird. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's got to change because politics never made our government. Uh, our people made our government and our founders and our Constitution. So we got to get back to the basics. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's a, put in a nutshell. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Um, what, if any, uh, qualities do uh, citizens of Indiana still have or hold dear? Oh, I, I, I have a lot of faith in in our fellow Hoosiers. Um, always have. Uh, I, I believe most people want a job, want to work. If they physically can, or do not have any other issues that that uh, prohibits them from, uh, I think m- many people will help, especially if they're asked. And probably more people need to be asked to help those who are are helpless, which seem to be coming more and more uh, these days, especially throughout our country. Um, but back here in Indiana. I think, for the most part, people uh, are doing their best to uh, make a living, raise their family, raise their kids, get their get their kids an education, and uh, make and hope that their lives are better than what mine is or yours or 
uh, you know, our peer group. So, um, so I, I have a lot of confidence that it can still be done and done better than what we've done before. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, last question: What do you want Hoosiers to know about their role when it comes to the function of the Indiana General Assembly? Well, first of all, uh, they have to remember that the people they vote for and win are the people that's going that are going to be the legislators who are going to be representing them, not the people that lost or they're in some kind of political fight or, you know, like the little thing I told you about me uh, and the judge. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the bottom line is that we all need to get along and, and bury the hatchet. When the election's over, it's over. Uh, my first opponent was a physician, and we ended up becoming best of friends. Uh, I went to his funeral. I ate at his house numerous times. Uh, he was a huge IU fan. I introduced him to Bobby Knight when my cousin, Coach Ron Felling, coached there in 87. Mm, okay. And uh, I even represented Coach Knight in his two hunting es- escapades uh, when he got arrested. Oh, wow. Okay. Because my cousin was a assistant coach. But the bottom line is it's it's got to be uh, – uh, fundamental and communication uh, ethics. Um, I, I I don't know if that's a forgotten word these days at the state house or not, so I, I can't emphasize that. But I I think the ethics back in my day was pretty good. It had started to go a little downhill because ethics and politics were start intermingling. Uh, like it's going on now, <laughs> everywhere yeah. it seems, yeah. and, uh, and and we got to get off of that path and get back to business at hand because there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and always uh, fellow Hoosiers, I think, are not afraid of work. Uh, they need to know what their task is and needs to be explained and laid out carefully, thoughtfully, and intelligently, and I think... Uh, our state has a lot of good people in it that meet those standards, and uh, I hope for a better future than what we have now, and I am an optimist to believe that it can happen. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, um, that's all the questions I have. Is there anything that uh, we didn't discuss that you want to mention? or? Uh, I, I think you've done a superb <laughs> job of covering everything uh, and at the sake of being repetitious I, I i i don't want to waste any of your time and effort i i'm i'm personally as i told you at the outset uh when you first contacted me i was thrilled to have this opportunity um uh, uh i i would hope that many of my my colleagues and former colleagues uh would step up to the plate uh and, and take an opportunity to uh, add a little history to where we've already been so we can figure out where we're going sure. and where we need to go because that's why history was my minor at DePaul. Yeah. I, I thought it was important, and I think it's a 
unfortunately, I'm not sure in the schools these days that it's even being taught, but uh, I hope it is, and being taught the correct way, of course, uh, by the truth. Absolutely. So, anyway, be that as it may, I thank you very much, and you keep up your good work, and uh, someday I hope to get to meet you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Um, it's it's always good to have new people added to the project, uh, especially with so many interesting things to say.